You're listening to audio from Cornerstone Christian Fellowship, located in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. We hope this message is helpful to you in your journey with God. For the live stream archive of our worship services, you can visit youtube.com slash cornerstonelebanonpa. Christian community is best lived out in face-to-face relationships with one another. We encourage you to physically participate in a local church setting within your area. Learn more about our faith community by visiting cornerstonelebanon.com. If you want to turn in your scriptures to Isaiah, sorry, don't turn to Isaiah. Luke chapter 18. We'll be starting in verse 31. We're continuing in our Lenten season with our series called Traveling Light, where we're going through a distinct part of the Gospel of Luke. Um, And man, uh, if you weren't here last week, Laura rocked my world. As far as, the scripture rocked my world, but um, man, I had a lot of problems with Jesus last week because of that scripture. Um, And last week, Laura talked about um, how uh, some of the things that stood out for me, were how a lot of times we can think of spiritual warfare as something very esoteric or very philosophical. Um, and a lot of times in the scripture, when the, the disciples ask for an increase of faith, it's around things like forgiveness um, and uh, about working through these relational issues that we have between one another or this sin that divides us or our conflicting convictions on certain things. And one of the things that really stood out to me, I think it was in um, the the Matthew passage about offense and about bringing your gift to the altar, was how Jesus tells us that if you know, so if I know somebody has an offense against me, I'm the one that's supposed to go to them to kind of figure out what's going on. But the thing that stood out to me at that place was the fact of how many times do we not know the offenses we have between one another? Meaning like, I can't actually go to Tim and say, hey, I know you have something with me, Tim, if he hasn't said something to me. Like, you might be able to pick up on something here and there as far as like, oh, there's something between Pam and I, I should figure that out. But it actually says to like, if you know that a brother or sister has an offense against you, well, what happens if we're not a community that can talk about those kind of even small offenses so that they don't turn into big offenses or so that they don't become traps that end up slowly gnawing away and poisoning us in our relationships? And so uh, last week was uh, really good. I encourage you to go back, if you didn't listen to the message, to go back and uh, uh, listen through Laura's message and the scripture there out of Uh, uh, I keep wanting to say Isaiah, out of Luke 17. Um, But we're continuing in Luke 18 today. Uh, We're going to be starting in verse 31 as we enter into the story of Scripture. Um, And uh, today there's really just one thing, and we already sang it, was that um, when, you know, if we're blind to things, uh, us just opening our eyes isn't going to change anything. Like we sang in that song, Son of David, Like, the blind can't see just by opening their eyes. It's not just like this physical thing that needs to happen with us. Like, 
come on, Ben, let's get it, you know? And sometimes it is. Sometimes there's this thing where we are desperately holding our eyes shut and just being like, I can't see it. I can't see it. But then there's other times where there's these emotional and spiritual things that are going on inside of us and in the way we grew up or in trauma that has happened that, like, we need healing. Um, it's, there is this responsibility of our will to do what is ours, and we also are like, God, you need to do this, and you need to open up my eyes, and you need to heal. So that is, um, the, I think, like, today is more like uh, an internal prayer Sunday where I'm not going to be, you know, going through every nook and cranny of the scripture, but more so this cry of ours as we go towards uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus, that we need healed in so many ways that we don't even know that we need healed, that we are ignorant to a lot of those places. So I do want to talk about sense a little bit, um, and I have an experiment. Now, this might be old, especially to you Zoomers or whatever, this was an internet craze that I just found out about two weeks ago, and I was like, oh, I'm going to use this for sure. Um, but what I would like you to do is I'm going to play a sound clip for you, and I want you to just listen to it. It's going to play four times, and I want you to tell me what word you hear or what phrase you hear out of it. Okay? Now, maybe some of you have done this before a couple of years ago. I was, going, I was in the office going through this last week, and if you would have walked in on me, you would have thought I went crazy because it was blowing my mind. Um, so I want you to listen to this. Ron, is the audio on? So what, just let it go four times, and then I'll ask what you think it's saying. So now everybody's different, obviously, but what, were, what did you hear? The audio clip is intentionally not clear. What did you hear in that in that clip? It was said, it said something four times. Let me in. I heard let me in help. Is that what you heard? Help? It's like a horror movie. What was the other one? World peace. Sorry, say that again. Wipe me. Okay. So we have wipe me. White needle, green needle, uh, what did you say, Barry? Let me in. What to do, Rob? I see you. Okay. So there's a couple different things we heard there. Okay. Now I want you to listen to um, the same clip again and tell me what it says now. What did you hear that time? White needle? Okay. Now I'm going to play it again, and this time I want you to look at that word. What did you hear that time? Still let me in? It's great. Okay. Now, I want you to look at that word and tell me what you hear in this sound clip.
What did you hear in that sound clip? Brain needle? This illustration is falling apart fast, people. And it also makes me feel like I'm the crazy one now. Let me tell you how I experienced this. And the illustration I was trying to, I was trying to, uh, to, to do here. So at my computer desk, when I would look at these, when I would listen to that sound clip and look at that word, that is what I would hear. So when I would listen to that sound clip and look at that word, I would hear the word, the words green needle. And then, if I were to play the second sound clip, which is the same as the first sound clip, and I looked at this word, I heard the word brainstorm. Did that happen for anybody else? This is a horrible illustration. It happened for you? In the acoustics? Okay, then I'm going to send this link out to you. I was so excited about this, and it's completely falling flat now. Okay, I'm just going to do the benediction. This is, this is really about not seeing. So what actually happens in our brains is that when there's something that is unclear to us, we're, our senses, the strongest sense we actually have that our brain uses in order to try to make sense of the world, our dominant sense, is actually our eyes. So let's pretend this worked the way it was supposed to work. If you listen to that sound clip and you look at those words, what happened for me, it was, it would literally, I would literally hear what I was looking at. And the syllables aren't even the same in the words. Like, it's, it's, it's very different. Um, and then if I were to look at the other word, while listening to the exact same clip, it would switch for me. And then something even odder, if I were to close my eyes and I were to think about the word green needle while, while listening to it, I would hear green needle. And then, as my eyes are closed and not looking at the word with my physical eyes, if in my mind's eye, I was thinking about the word brainstorm, I heard the word brainstorm. And I could go back and forth and I could make it say green storm or, green, or uh, brain needle, too, just by thinking about what it was. And the reason was is because the sound clip is bad, and you're probably right, acoustically, it's hard to get, it's hard to pick up. But because the sound clip is kind of ambiguous, our bodies and our brains try to fill in the gaps by what we see. Now, let's pretend that worked the way I wanted it to work. This, and even if it didn't, this is still a reality. Oftentimes in our internal lives and with our spiritual lives, when we don't quite get something, we try to fill in the blanks by putting something out there that we understand. And so our, our vision of what we have about something, when it doesn't match the reality, actually internal, in, 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 inside of us, it actually changes what reality we think is possible. So as I look at something and I'm kind of filling in with my senses this thing, it's kind of telling me something. But in the recording, it actually is saying one thing. It actually is saying brainstorm. Which, did anybody say that? Did anybody say that at the beginning? That was the thing we was saying because it's actually a, like a, a character from some kind of toy. And the character's name is brainstorm. But because there was this thing that wasn't slightly clear to us, and because there was this um, prompting, what's known as priming, that the way we thought something was going to play out, played out in a completely different way, or a way that we just couldn't comprehend, 
um, reality to be. And in the scriptures, the, the idea of this is the fact that when we're spiritually blind, when we're spiritually blind. And so now that that all falls short, and I feel like that was the thing you were going to think about the rest of the day, is how am I spiritually blind because of that thing? Let's go to the scriptures and see how the scriptures can illuminate some things. So we're in chapter 18 of Luke. And we're going to start in verse 31. So Jesus is with his disciples. He says, in talking with the twelve, he, Jesus, said to them, see. Um, And it might say in your scripture, depending on what it is, it might say, behold. And we remember that when this word see or behold comes up, it's not just a look at this. It's like a pay attention to what I'm about to say. Have a special note of what is about to say. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man which is one of the names that Jesus uses for himself, one of the titles, over and over again. Everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Now, for us being 2,000 years removed from the story, um, this story of Jesus as it was playing out, and knowing what happens at Jerusalem, knowing about not only the death and the resurrection, we kind of have our minds already primed for what's going to happen. But for the disciples, what was going on, even though that Jesus was saying over and over again that I'm going to go to Jerusalem to become king, and yet the way I am going to exercise my power and be enthroned to become king is going to be like something that you have never seen before. And so when he says here that everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, there's this note, maybe there's this one time that the the Son of Man is distinctly used of a non-human being, and that's in Daniel 7. And so maybe the the disciples are saying, okay, everything that that the Scripture says about the Son of Man is going to happen when we get to Jerusalem. And this is a vision that Daniel had. This is like a a prophetic shadow of the Messiah, of the the reigning king that will be God's um, chosen one throughout all generations that will save not only Israel, the people, but that will redeem the whole world. And Daniel in this night vision says this. He says, I saw in the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve and worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So maybe as the disciples are hearing what Jesus is saying, Before the break, it's like, hey, the Son of Man is going to go to Jerusalem and everything that is written is going to be accomplished. Like, they're like, yeah, this is great. Jesus is going to take his proper place um, as the king. He's going to redeem Israel. He's going to redeem uh, the world. Evil and justice are going to be taken care of once and for all. This is it. He's going to sit. He's going to destroy the enemies and everything else. But then verse 32 comes, and Jesus continues. For he, the Son of Man, will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. And you can just kind of imagine the disciples being like, that's not exactly what we thought you were going to say. 
when you said, you know, the Son of Man, the Messiah was coming, and you're that person, even though he said it multiple, this is the third time he said the exact same thing in Luke. That isn't the story going to change? Aren't you supposed to, like, overthrow Caesar, take your rightful place that's there, you know, have a, a re-presidential election, and actually take your proper place for who you are in this city and ultimately in the world? But Jesus says no that there's actually pain and suffering and death and resurrection that's coming. Verse 34. But they, the disciples, understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. And from my understanding of, of what that's actually saying, it's not like they didn't understand the words that were coming out of his mouth. They didn't understand the meaning of how the Messiah being mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon, flogged, killed, was going to bring about the kingdom of God. I can't grasp that, Jesus. What do you mean that, like Matt prayed, out of death there's going to be some life? Out of you being crucified as a criminal, that there's going to be some kind of enthronement of you, that something good is going to come out of this? They could not grasp it. And yet this was what one of the other prophets said about the coming Messiah. And Jim, Gosher, could you come up and read the Isaiah passage? So we do have the passage in Daniel, Daniel 7, that talks about um, the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven that Jesus does quote when he's being crucified or when he's about to be crucified. But we also have other shadows of who this Messiah is going to be that are all throughout the Old Testament. And they are shadows. It's like if you read in direct context, you're like, well, is that talking about some other king or some other guy that's during that time? And yet throughout um, the, the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament and the church, there was always this like forward-thinking prophecy that these words from the scripture are actually pointing towards the reality of who our Messiah is going to be and what he is going to do. So this is also the prophetic word that is coming about Jesus and about the Messiah that is from Isaiah starting in chapter 52. Let's listen to Jim read these words. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. For they will see what they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard about. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in a dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and he looked the other way. And, I'm sorry, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. 
He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Then when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good prosper hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. The word of the Lord. And so it's easy in the scripture to pick and choose, like, which king do you want? Which Messiah do you want? What do, you, do, you want do you want the one that is coming in power? The one that is um, going to be highly exalted? The one that people will worship? Or do you want the one that's going to suffer? Like, how is that going to show your power? How is that going to show the kingdom of God? And both of those things are true. Both the Daniel 7 and the Isaiah passage are both true in that. But the disciples could not grasp, they could not understand the meaning of what was going on and how was this possibly going to bring about the kingdom of God. But where the disciples didn't know, Jesus knew. And it's one of those things that if you don't know what's coming, yes, you can project dread into it. But it takes a certain amount of courage and bravery and dedication, in this case, to the will of God and to trust in the goodness of the Father. That Jesus, for out however many years of his life, at least within his uh, uh, teaching ministry, knew that his end goal, his end result, was going to be in Jerusalem and was also going to be death. And yes, resurrection. But I don't know that that was a comfort to him to some degree. You know, on the night that Jesus uh, was going to be crucified, he wasn't just okay with things. He wrestled to the point of, of, of sweating blood and the turmoil that was going on. That while he completely trusted in his father, he trusted in the suffering that was going to happen, and he trusted in the promise of the resurrection that he even says here. It wasn't just something where he shut off his brain or shut off his emotion. He knew what was coming and what kind of pain and suffering and trauma was coming, and he continued to walk the path to Jerusalem. Because oftentimes the only way for peace to actually come about is if pain and suffering are participated. And so he set his face towards Jerusalem. And even if the, the disciples did not grasp it, our Lord grasped it. And he continued to walk that path. Verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. 
And uh, one of the things that you'll see in this that this blind man does that we kind of sang today was what is the main uh, way of communication that he communicates in this? Say that again. Shouting. Shouting. And if you remember the story of Jericho, it's when um, God says to the Israelites to go to the city of Jericho to walk around a bunch of times, six days, and then on the seventh day there's going to be these ram's horns that are going to be blown, and there's going to be the shouting out. And then when you shout out, these walls will fall to the ground, and he will give you the victory in this place. And so I think that there's this cool link here between um, the beggar being in Jericho and this beggar shouting out and the idea of these walls falling down in order to give victory to God's people and to creation. So as Jesus and the disciples drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cries out. The beggar cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Some translations say telling him to shut up. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And even in the crowd, there's kind of a differencing of who is this Jesus. When the the beggar asks, who is, what's going on? What is this noise that I'm hearing? And the blind man uh, asks that, and the people say, oh, it's Jesus of Nazareth, which is um, not necessarily, a, a, it's a correct title, but it's not the same type of title as son of David, right? They're just saying, there's this guy, there's this rabbi coming. We've heard stories about him. Jesus of Nazareth is here. And so we're kind of seeing what's going on. But in the heart or in the spirit, somehow, this man, this blind beggar that couldn't see and just hearing who it was had some kind of insight. And it's this, this phrase, son of David, is only used two or three times in the scripture. And it's usually used, um, it can be used almost as a, as a political phrase, saying that this is the rightful king that is coming. And with them getting closer and closer to Jerusalem, some of the people telling him to shut up or be silent was like, hey, you're going to kind of cause an uproar if um, Caesar's people uh, hear what you're saying about that. Like, it was almost a little bit of a, a slight, if not a direct slight, to those that were actually in power. And so this man who can't see, this beggar who can't see, starts shouting out to him. 40, and Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked the blind beggar, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? If Jesus were to ask you that question today, what would you answer with? Whether it's like some kind of spiritual thing that you want to change inside of you, some kind of emotive thing, or maybe it's some kind of physical thing. If you had a blank check with Jesus asking you, what do you want me to do for you? How would you answer that? What would be the thing that you would ask? The beggar says, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people who just previously were telling the blind beggar to be quiet and to shut up and to be silent. They saw it and they started giving praise to God. The word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. So with that question, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do for you? I, that, that, that word that the blind beggar says, recover, is just like a word that I would like us to think about over this next week. What is something that needs to be recovered in your life? Whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, some kind of connection with the Lord. Where is it? It's saying that he wants to recover his sight, which insinuates what? At one part, at one point in his life, he could see. I want to recover my sight. It wasn't like, I want to see for the first time. So it seems like he was not born blind. But the toil of life, whether his own fault, whether physical, whether some kind of thing that was going on, that he lost his sight. And even when he lost his sight, hearing the name of Jesus gave him some type of hope to cry out and shout to him, being the son of David, and to come and heal me. So in your life, as you're thinking about what is the thing that you want Jesus to do for you, what is the thing that needs to be recovered in your life? What is the thing, thinking back, that seems impossible, that seemed like it would be an absolute miracle, for something to shift here, for something to change this situation, for something to change even the internalness of what I'm housing with this thing. Possibly what kind of spiritual blindness are we holding on to today? And so there's a lot of comparisons if we read all of chapter 18 that come um, from this scripture, um, which we're not going to go uh, go through but we see that um, the, the blind beggar, who in the other parts of Scripture and the other Gospels is called Bartimaeus, that this blind beggar could see something that the disciples couldn't see to some degree. That even though he was blind, there was something that believed in who Jesus was, that by faith that this thing could happen. Whereas the disciples, their faith was lacking. That there was something that they couldn't quite grasp, even though they were clearly hearing the words of Jesus. How can this come about? How can this really bring the kingdom of God? In uh, the other uh, parallel version of the story with the blind man, there's this really uh, short, cool little detail that Luke doesn't include. And it says that when the blind man stood up, um, he threw off his cloak. That the blind man threw off his cloak and came to Jesus. And I think that this is an indirect correlation to the story that comes before this story, which has to do with the rich young ruler. I think most of us remember the rich young ruler where he comes to Jesus, what um, can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, uh, follow the Torah, love, love God and love your neighbor and, and this stuff. He's like, I've done that since my youth. He's like, great, go and sell all your possessions and come follow me. And the rich young ruler was like, uh, and he walks away. And there's this comparison where one of the only things that the beggar has is this cloak. And he is willing to throw off everything that he had, even though it was very little, in order to come to Jesus to receive healing and to follow him. And that's compared to the rich young ruler who had everything, but because he had everything, wasn't willing to necessarily follow Jesus and what Jesus said. Jesus says in John 9, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, 
and those who see may become blind. And this story perfectly illustrates that, that there is this spiritual blindness that happens in the disciples, that happens in us, that we have this green needle phrase in front of us, and we see that, but it's actually saying something else. Or is it just by our eyes that we're actually hearing God? Or do we need something deeper than our sight, faith, in order to actually hear and trust and believe in what God is saying to us? I'm not saying don't trust your eyes, but I'm saying that your eyes aren't the only thing that's going for us. Like when we see things, it's hard to see in our world, you know, how can this possibly be recovered? How can this possibly be used for good? How can God possibly be uh, working his goodness in the midst of us? And are we only believing based out of what we see or are we believing based off of the words of Christ, the words of God to us? And are we holding on to those things? So this week, as part of our prayer and practices, um, I would also ask you, as you think about this spiritual blindness thing, to ask the Lord in prayer this, what am I not hearing you say, Lord? What am I not hearing you say? And usually this prayer time has been more of a personal time. I'm going to suggest that this week, we're leading up to Easter, you actually sit with a trusted friend and ask this question. And maybe even ask your trusted friend what they think. Because it can be also uh, easy, self-included, to be in a place of prayer and to be listening to the Lord and still not hearing what the Lord is saying. And I don't want anybody to like overly question, you know, whether or not they can hear from the Lord. But just because we think we hear something doesn't necessarily mean that thing was said or spoken. And that is why, in part, we are giving Christian community, that we have brothers and sisters that bring discernment and then help to bring this other perspective to the situation where I'm inviting Dennis in, in a very vulnerable place. And that's why I say with a trusted friend. Like, hey, Dennis, you've known me for, you know, 20 years. Blank check for you, Dennis. In grace and, and knowing you love me and uh, if you could maybe, you know, be gentle with me. What is something that you feel like I might not be hearing? knowing my life? What is something that's there that you just, just, you know, deposit something into me? And then I can go to the Lord and discern that too. But there needs to be more a point of community in our prayer lives and in our discernment about even things that are going on within us. And I, again, I'm not saying just jump and like grab somebody random and say, hey, what do you think about this? This is based off of trust and relationships being built. So this week, I would ask and suggest that during your prayer time, you ask, what am I not hearing you, Lord, say? And that you would possibly bring another brother or sister into that conversation with you. And then second, I would say do this in solitude, but you can decide to do this however you want. Maybe you want to do it at the farmer's market. I don't know. But there was something that was deep within this beggar that he was going to shout out. He needed to get his voice heard. And God is not deaf to our cries. He's not, um, it's not like he needs you to talk louder in order for him to hear what you're saying. That's not what the scriptures say. But there is something to the human ability to like use our voices and really put ourselves out there in vulnerability. So as you think about like Jesus, um, you know, as Jesus asks you, what, uh, what would you have me do for you? Or what do you want? Or what is the spiritual blindness? Or there's something in there. Even if it's off-kilter, a lot of times our desires aren't 
God's desires, but it's important that we express those. This past week, go to a field or in your house, probably not at 6 a.m. so you don't scare your, your family or anything. Actually shout out some kind of prayer request. And I mean like shout it out with like everything you have in you, almost to the point where you feel like crying if there's something deep within you. Put the physical nature of the internal angst or tension or question in you. Maybe there's just a praise too. Maybe the request isn't even a request. Maybe it's just like, God, you are so good that I want to shout out how good you are and do that. I don't want, it, I don't want us to always think that when we're following Jesus, everything has to be like a correction. But maybe there's something just deep inside of you that you need to get out and shout to God uh, from your physical being towards that, towards him. So those are the prayer and practice. What am I not hearing you say, Lord? And shout out a deep request to God. These are really important things to be asking and doing, especially on our way to the cross and to Easter Sunday. Um, to close, uh, Joy, you can bring the team up. I want to pray over us, uh, Ephesians. So like a popular word in, in secular or non-Christian thing is also the word enlightenment. You know, we have the secular enlightenment that happened, you know, 150 years ago. Um, and, you know, there's like uh, East, Eastern mystical Buddhism, um, New Age stuff that's like, oh, you need to be enlightened. Um, and so when I pray for enlightenment over us, I'm not praying in that way. I'm praying for the enlightenment that comes by us surrendering ourselves to God in some of the most intimate places in our lives um, and asking for God to, maybe nothing is actually going to change in our circumstance or in our situation, but the whole way that we approach it is a miracle in and of itself as we pray for God to enlighten our hearts. So I want to pray this uh, over us. If you want to take a posture of prayer, and then joy will lead us in worship. This is Paul praying to the Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So Cornerstone, may your inner person, may your inner being, may the thing that um, is the seat of your desires and of your thoughts, may there be light brought to that, and may it be the true light, not artificial light, Cornerstone not some kind of man-made light, but actually the light of the Lord. And may this enlighten you to the hope of which Jesus has called you to, to the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The cornerstone, you have an inheritance that is connected with your father, and you also have as part of that inheritance a family, a family that is imperfect and that we need to work things out through. But God, we ask that you would give us a sense of connection and family with one another. That for those of us that are in this room that don't actually know of a person that we would ask, that we feel trusted um, relationship with to ask that kind of question, like, what do you see in my life? Would you start today building those bridges and building those connection points so that in three, six months, a year from now, that that question could be asked? And where those relationships are now, God, if we're going to engage in these, would you give us um, humility and gentleness and wisdom 
not uh, exercising some kind of um, worldly authority over one another, but in a way that's like, I, I want your best, and I know that God wants your best. So let me share what I think. And yes, we can talk about it. You need to take it to the Lord, but would we invite community into those vulnerable places? This glorious inheritance in his holy people and his uncomparably great power for us who believe. Jesus, you healed somebody at the drop of a hat through faith. And we know we've been through the ringer with a lot of things that we've prayed for and we think that we've prayed for in faith and we have prayed for in faith that have not turned out the way we thought. But God, help us not to cry out to you. Help us not to um, disregard the great power that you do have in order to change things. Because that power is the same as the mighty strength God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That power, And he seated him far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. That that power that raised you, Jesus, from the dead is at work within your church, within your sons and your daughters, even within your world through your Holy Spirit. where we're not seeing clearly or we're hearing you say something and we're interpreting it in our brains and in our hearts as something else, God, we need healing. We need our eyes to be open. If we are covering our eyes, God, if we are trying to uh, force them shut because we don't want to see what's there, God, give us the strength, give us the conviction, give us uh, the repentance to open our eyes where it's at a place that our eyes are wide open and we still can't see the truth in front of us, God. May we be humble enough to say, Lord, have mercy. Son of David, have mercy on me and heal this in me because I can't do anything about it. And God, we ask for that wisdom that discerns what is our part and what is your part. And that is such a great tension in this Christian life. Where does the surrender need to happen? Where does the will need to happen? And in all those things, what we do know is that in all of those things, your glory needs to happen. And so whether it's us um, responding to your great love and seeing what we chose not to see for so many years, whether it's you just showing up as we're crying out and healing our minds, our bodies, our inner perspective, our inner disposition, God, we want to glorify you and say thank you, God. You are the Son of Man who is exalted and that we worship. You are the Son of Man who suffered, was beat, spit on, and mocked. Where we ignored you, God, you did chose not to ignore us. You chose not to ignore the Father's will, and we thank you for that. So with this, we go into worship of you, Father, Son, and Spirit. We ask you to be with us this upcoming week, as always, and help us to see those on the side that are asking, what's going on? 
for us to say, well, that's, that's Jesus. That's Jesus of Nazareth. Um, do, you, do you need help to get to him? Or are you just ready to shout out and to throw things off and be like, I need recovery. I need renewal. Help us to play our part in your kingdom, God, as we worship you for all the things that you do. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of God's people said,